Welcome to this Mount Alliance Now podcast. I'm Bob Rogers, and I'm really excited about our podcast today. The title is Starting Points, A Principle of Power. My guests are Dustin Bryant and Dave Murphy. Dustin is the Personal Lines Academic Director at the National Alliance for Insurance Education and Research. And many of you have heard her as she is the host of our new podcast series, Awkward Insurance. With Dustin is Dave Murphy. Dave is on the board of directors and a speaker for Global Leadership Partners, a global nonprofit leadership training firm. A warm welcome to both of you. We, we welcome you to Nat Alliance now. Dustin, tell us a little bit about your podcast, if you would, to kind of kick us off, Awkward Insurance. That's an interesting title. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, the podcast is, well, it's awkward to talk <laughs> about. <laughs> so Awkward Insurance is the brainchild of, um, you know, just really connecting with the listeners who are in the trenches of the insurance industry and all of the, the relationship struggles that we go through, both professionally and with our clients and um, you know, really kind of telling our war stories and connecting that back to the education that we offer here at the National Alliance through our um, our educational programs like the CISR and the CIC. We spend a lot of time dissecting policy language um, and a little bit of time in the application of that. So the Awkward Insurance Podcast is trying to help bridge that gap just a little bit. And, and just use the awkward nature of everything that we do when we're applying coverage. Well, you know, the, this business is such that you, you end up so personally involved with your clients, things can get awkward on occasion. Over the years, I've, I've found that. It, it, you get in very <laughs> uncomfortable situations, not by your own doing. Oh, my gosh, all the time. Uh, Dave, and sometimes that's actually by your own doing. Yeah, well, yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Dave, you and I have had uh, several discussions. I'm going to talk a little bit later about how we met, but uh, uh, tell us about uh, uh, Global Leadership Partners. Tell us about your current work and, and, and a little bit about your career. How did you, uh, what did you do uh, early on in your career? Very good. Thank you, Bob. First of all, thank you for having me. What a privilege to, uh, to get to know you and to have this opportunity to speak with, with your audience. And Dustin, so nice to meet you as well. It's a, it's a privilege to, to be on this same podcast with you. So I began uh, back when the earth was still cooling uh, with uh, Metropolitan Life as a, as a life insurance agent. And uh, the actual day of my start in the business was the day I returned from my honeymoon with my beautiful wife. And uh, started in uh, Dayton, Ohio uh, with, with Metropolitan Life, was there for five years. Uh, and then because I felt uh, somewhat sheltered uh, in my training, somewhat restricted to the family market, I ended up becoming an advanced sales specialist for a Cincinnati-based life insurance company by the name of Union Central. And I uh, enjoyed uh, learning about estate planning and uh, in business insurance and doing hypothetical probates and buy-sell agreements and all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, that company bought a couple of brokerage firms, uh, life insurance brokerage firms by the name of Manhattan National, Manhattan Life. And uh, I was brought to those companies upon acquisition 
and helped move those companies from New York to Cincinnati, which got my foot into independent distribution. And I've been in independent distribution ever since. My final role was with Salmon's Financial Group, and I was national sales director for all of their national accounts. And uh, I covered all 50 states and had 30,000 independent financial professionals that I uh, oversaw the production from. So ended my career December 31st of, of 2018. And as you said, immediately joined uh, Global Leadership Partners, a nonprofit that had be, uh, begun a couple of years prior by, by some uh, retired Procter & Gamble executives, taking the leadership training they enjoyed under their corporate experience and sharing that uh, abroad, particularly in Eastern Europe with students and young professionals and business owners who had not had the benefit of that same training. And uh, so we have expanded. I was the sixth one on the team. Uh, we now have 70 speakers. Uh, I'm leading a team right now where we are going to be doing 18 webinar events in six countries, uh, uh, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarus, Ukraine, Poland, and Russia. And uh, we begin February the 16th and end uh, April the 22nd. And uh, we're going to have a full plate of schedule. We will mentor over 250 people individually and uh, speak to probably three or 4,000 people in that period of time. Well, God bless you. That is fantastic. That sounds like after you retired, then you followed your calling. You know, those are the kinds of things when uh, I heard uh, uh, the great life insurance producer, John Savage, say uh, years ago, he said, you know, we we need to serve others and not ourselves. And when we do that, then we're accomplishing our mission uh, when we're when we're walking the earth. And that uh, sounds like that's what you're doing now. And uh, that, that is so great. And I'm sure you, you follow some of your uh, participants as we do and, and see how they're, they're working out. Do you have, uh, is this, when, when, with the seminars, are they, do they go to multiple seminars or they, uh, do they, how do they go through the, what's your training session like? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So our curriculum is leadership, emotional intelligence, project management, uh, effective teams, team effective meetings, things like that. And uh, the university students that we speak to largely, they attend three sessions. Uh, we, we structure those either over a week, so maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or over an eight-day period of time where they might attend a session on Tuesday, Thursday, and then the following Tuesday, or sometimes over a 15-day period where they say, take every Wednesday for three weeks. And uh, the students, uh, they generally attend because they, some, some of them just want to practice their English. Frankly, right. Uh, some of them, some of them have just never had opportunity to meet one on one with an American business person, and uh, they take that opportunity. Others uh, are really aggressive go getters, as you can imagine, and those are the ones we build relationships with primarily. Uh, they are self starters. They want to grow. They want to improve. Want to discover their purpose. Uh, want to know what their priorities should be. They know they have weaknesses. They just don't know how to work on them. They know they have strengths. They don't know how to maximize them. So that's what we help them with. So in uh, Eastern Europe, I wouldn't think that part of the culture is, is, is in our, our, our culture over a long time is, is people learning these skill sets as they go up. And it's, it, it, it tends to be uh, in, our, in our culture, uh, it passes down by generations. 
you know, we all have mentors and we all have people we can uh, uh, talk about it. And, uh, and uh, just listening to what you're saying uh, and where you're doing it, I would doubt that that exists in, uh, in Eastern European countries. Or if it does, it's very limited. You're right, Bob. In fact, we're talking to cultures that have been uh, trod upon by multiple invaders. Uh, right. Take Romania, where people just ran over them roughshod, whether it was the Turks in the Ottoman Empire or the Russians or the Hungarians or the Germans, uh, they've been run over. And uh, Lithuania is a country I'm working with now. They've been kicked back and forth between Austria, Germany, Russia, Finland. It's, it's, it's a brutal past. And as you said, many of these countries were under communist rule. Their parents don't trust anybody because of that experience. They don't have any um, ambition because of that experience. What was the sense of having ambition when the state was going to control everything? So here's a generation of young people growing up who don't have mentors that can point them in the direction of being self-starters and, and having big, goal, big goals. So. Well, again, I, I think that's a, a noble calling, what you're doing. It, it, it truly is. And I, I commend you for it and wish you and your team uh, uh, great success uh, going forward in, 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 uh, in your endeavors. I appreciate it. Dave, I, you and I met, I tend to read industry periodicals. And uh, one of the ones that I read is the Broker World magazine. And part of my uh, ritual when I look at industry periodicals is I go through the table of contents and I look for uh, titles of articles that I think uh, I'd like to learn more and, 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 and pique my interest. And in uh, October of, of uh, the fall of last year, uh, I was reading the September issue of Broker World and I looked and I saw this uh, article and it was called The Intrinsic Value of a Starting Point, written by a chap by the name of David Murphy. <laughs> yes, sir. And little did I know that, that our paths had crossed uh, uh, over the years through our careers. Uh, uh, the division that I uh, was, ran and met, uh, you even knew the name of it from the company when I was, <laughs> I was there for a long time. Anyway, uh, you wrote this article and it, it was very interesting. When it started, uh, your, your article, you shared the story of a gentleman named Thomas Hutchins, who uh, nobody ever heard of. <laughs> and he has had such a, an amazing impact on all of our lives. And I would like to ask you to share that story with us, if you would. I would be delighted to. Well, the, as you said, the title was The Intrinsic Value of a Starting Point, and a starting point is, is the difference maker in everybody's life. Uh, but there's a backstory to every starting point. Every starting point begins in a number of eyes, imagination, intuition, uh, inventiveness, inquisition, where you're asking questions. In fact, all starting points begin with a question. Uh, this particular starting point that I describe in the article began way back in 1749 by a man named Peter Jefferson, who was Thomas Jefferson's father. In 1749, he founded an organization called the Loyal Company. And the Loyal Company was established in order to, to acquire land grants from the government west of the Allegheny Mountains. 
And he had a partner in, in founding the Loyal Company by the name of Joshua Fry. The story gets a little thicker in that two years later in 1751, Peter Jefferson and Joshua Fry created a map, the first real map of Virginia, Maryland, parts of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and North Carolina. The reason this is important is that map launched the imagination of Thomas Jefferson. He was a young man at the time, and he was so intrigued because we're talking about territories on the other side of the mountains that he had never seen. In fact, at the time that Jefferson lived, there were 5 million Americans living within 50 miles of the eastern seaboard. They were really hemmed in by this, the fascinating series of ridges and peaks that we call the Appalachians. Uh, Thomas Jefferson never made it across the Appalachians, never got to see the other side. But that didn't stop him from being curious and asking questions of everybody who did traverse that unknown landscape, one of which was Thomas Hutchins, the star of our show here. And Hutchins has an interesting background. When uh, Thomas Jefferson first met him, he was a geographer and he was a surveyist. Uh, but before that, Thomas Hutchins had been uh, an, a soldier in the French and Indian War. He was a skilled Indian agent. He was a military engineer. Uh, he was a cartographer drawing maps. He was a geographer and he was a surveyor. So here's where the magic happens. Jefferson is, his interest is sparked by this land, this unknown land west of the Alleghenies. If you remember, the, the Revolutionary War did not end until the treaty in Paris in September of 1783. At that time, we acquired as a nation lands heretofore controlled by Britain, France, and Spain. The Congress all of a sudden found itself, Bob, with land. Now, re right. remember, unlike in our day, the federal government would not tax its citizens directly. Remember the, the Declaration of Independence. We, one of the things that we charged against Great Britain is that they tax without representation, taxation without representation. So our right. founding government had no arm for taxing the American people, but they could sell land now all of a sudden. So Thomas Jefferson in 1785, two years after the war was officially over, drafted legislation in the, uh, in the Congress called the Land Ordinance, which required the government to sponsor a public survey of these newfound lands that the federal government now owned for the purposes of creating surveying and land parcels that could be sold. Well, guess who? They, they, they tasked with doing the survey and getting this whole thing done. Thomas Hutchins, our friend. Right. So, so Hutchins created this amazing system. And I don't know if I should pause here for other questions, but it's a, it's a system of townships. And these townships are a six mile square. They have 36 segments in them, each one of them a mile square, which is 640 acres apiece. And they run north to south in, in ranges. Uh, but to get this whole thing started, he needed a starting point. And he somewhat haphazardly picked one. It happens to be located at 40 degrees, 38 minutes, uh, 33 seconds north latitude, 
and 80 degrees, 31 minutes, 10 seconds west longitude, which is known today as least East Liverpool, Ohio. <laughs> the, point, the point of this whole story about Thomas Hutchins is that for everything, there has to be a starting point. And there has to be a person who's going to launch, kick off, get started, imagine, innovate, uh, inquire. And that was Thomas Hutchins. I love that story. I'm I'm a I'm a uh, amateur historian myself, and and uh, it's very interesting when you when you really delve into this to see how all of these all of these uh, uh, different uh, watershed events, as they were, really impacted so many things going forward. And again, the way we live. Well, Dave, this concept of starting points, uh, you, as you said, everything needs a starting point. And this concept of starting points is such a, uh, I like to call it a, a, a very powerful principle and what you call it as well. How do you think it's, it, it relates to us as, as, as human beings, accomplishing objectives, what we're doing, how we go forward? That's a great question. See, a starting point is, is required in every aspect of human existence. And it is the way that we make progress. You know, all of us know that if you make a 1% improvement in anything compounded daily, at the end of a year, you've made a 37% improvement. Little steps, right, are required. Um, there's an author that you may have read, uh, James Clear. He wrote a, a book called Atomic Habits uh, three years ago. Mm -hmm. Powerful book. Now I think it's been translated into 120 languages. It's, it's spread across the country. And it's all about habits. And a habit is either good or bad, depending on the direction it's taking you, right? Right. If it's taking you away from your <laughs> objectives, it's bad. If it's taking you toward your objectives, it's good. The thing about a starting point is it's tied to you physically as much as anything else. Uh, James Clear points out in his book that we have 11 million sensors in our brain. 10 million of the 11 million are tied to our visual sense, to what we see. The amazing thing about a starting point is it's tied to your sight. Let me start with an example. Let's say you wanted to exercise. The first thing to do is to lay out your exercise shoes and clothing. So it's the first thing you see in the morning. You can't get out of bed. You can't get to the restroom without passing over your shoes and exercise clothes. By seeing it, you're reminded and you begin forming the habit. You can do it a different way. Let's say you wanted to start reading more. You get the remote and you hide it from sight. Where the remote is normally located, you put the book you want to read. Your sight, your eyesight will help you start. That's a starting point. The, 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 again, the secret about starting points is they need you to show up. It's, you, you know, Thomas Hutchins showed up to do this, this point of, of origination. And in fact, his surveying goes all the way to the Pacific coast now. We still use his surveying system, and it's 200 years later. <laughs> so that's the, that's the one thing to remember about a starting point. You know, you and I, Bob, we won't be remembered as having started a lot. I mean, we didn't invent anything. I didn't. I didn't um, either. I didn't found a world religion. There's no, there's no discovery. There's no mountain named after me. There's no botanical species named after me. Uh, I've not I've not coined any words, uh, and yet 
in our families, in our in our work centrals, in our clientele, guess what? We had the opportunity to initiate a starting point in every direction. That's very, very, very true. And it's again, it's so uh it's so powerful. It's uh and and as you said, you know, visualization is so critical to be able to see uh, what you want, to be able to visualize it. To uh, I, I I always get a kick out of Dustin when she when she comes on. She surrounds herself with positive uh, 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 things around on on her wall. Yeah, and and it's 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 terrific, and it's it's those kinds of things. Uh, that you uh, uh, you know that, that keep you motivated and keep you on track, as you will. It's uh, it's these habits, and as you said, they're good ones and bad ones. <laughs> you got to start. Yeah. You got to really go toward the good ones. Well, I think it's great though, David, that you brought up earlier when you were speaking about Thomas Hutchins that starting points are generally haphazardly picked. I mean, humans are haphazard. <laughs> Yes, and ma'am. So yes, ma'am. when I was digesting your article and thinking about starting points, uh, that was one of the most immediately and uh, one of the most immediate things that I discovered was that most of my starting points were haphazard starting points that ended up with good results. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because how often have you heard the expression, how did you get your start? And if you ask anybody in the insurance business, how they got their start, I guarantee it didn't start with when I was five years old, I always wanted to be in the insurance business. Right. <laughs> it, right. That's nobody's story. Ironically, though, I have an eight-year-old now and a 10-year-old, and they constantly talk about, you know, in school, they're at this phase, where do you see yourself in five or 10 years? Yeah. And my eight-year-old was in the back of the car one day. She says, I think I'm going to work at the National Alliance like mommy. And my 10-year-old says, you can't just work at the National Alliance. Mommy's <laughs> been doing this a really long time. <laughs> she said, okay, well, then I'll be an insurance person first, and then I'll go work at the National Alliance. So she's eight and planning to be an in insurance. <laughs> I love everything about the fact that your kids want to emulate you. That's That tells a lot about you. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the, you talk about how did we all start? One of the things, you know, we have, we have the uh, CISR high school program where we are in high schools. And uh, uh, I have uh, always said, you know, how many, how many of us in the industry went by the insurance booth at career day in junior (laughs) high school? It didn't happen. (laughs) So it's, it's the, you know, what, what's the starting point to get us into the industry? And, you know, one of the, it's one the goodies of the things, that are on the table, Bob, that's the start. That's what it is. Absolutely. Yes. It's the, it's the stress balls. It's the tchotchkes. The tchotchkes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. One, one of the things that is so critical in, uh, in our business is uh, uh, education. I, I learned, uh, uh, Dave, you'll appreciate this at one of my very first Million dollar roundtables. This is the impact this man had on me. Man by the name of Raymond Triplett, who was with New York Life, got up. He was a platform speaker, and he 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 made the comment about how we had to armor coat. It was it was biblical how we had to armor coat ourselves against the slings and the arrows. Yes, sir. And he said that what we the way we did that was what was between our ears. 
what we knew. That's what made us different than our competitors. And, and, and education is so critical. And uh, you, you and I, again, have talked. You have a very interesting story about obtaining your uh, designations in the life insurance business. Um, it, it, it took me five years to do what you did in a much shorter period of time. Uh, uh, tell it, share with us your, your story about uh, your educational journey. Well, you may not have backed yourself into a corner the way that I had. So <laughs> I mentioned earlier with, with Metropolitan Life, who I loved my career with them, uh, I was primarily in the family marketplace and wanted to learn the estate planning and business marketplace. So at 28, I decided to pursue my CLU and CHFC, Chartered Life Underwriter, Chartered Consult, Financial Consultant, and uh, called the American College and uh, found out how much they cost, et cetera. My employer agreed to reimburse me for every course I passed for the whole cost of it, which I thought was fantastic. Let's get this done. So I called the American College back and I ordered all the materials and scheduled all the exams. And uh, oops, hit my credit card with $3,500 in charges. Five minutes after I made that decision, the bank called and said, you overran your limit by $1,000. So the bank was kind enough to allow me to pursue that course of action as long as I get it all done in nine months. So I took those 12 exams over a course of nine months by going to the office at, night, at six in the morning and rolling up my sleeves and studying and reading and preparing. Uh, so at the end of that journey, uh, the local association of CLU uh, held a confirmment dinner and ceremony. And there were like 20 of us that were going to be awarded our certificates. And, you know, at 28, you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. You think you're all that. And uh, I thought it would be noteworthy to the to, when they gave me my certificate. Somebody would say, hey, this young man got it done in 12, you know, 12 exams in nine months. Guess who? The speaker who was going to confirm all of us, our designations was the legendary Ben Feldman. So I tell people, if they don't know that name, they ought to Google it and they ought to learn it. And he was, and again, uh, uh, share with us just a little bit about Ben Feldman. Just a, just a little. There's so much. I shall. Because our, 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 uh, our listeners all may not know who he is or was. Let's do share that. So of all places, guess where Ben Feldman <laughs> did all of his career? In East Liverpool, Ohio, famous place of the point of beginnings where Thomas Hutchins started the whole right. country survey system. <laughs> Same place. Right. So this is a town that had, uh, in his day, 20,000 citizens. And yet in 1974, Ben Feldman was on the cover of Fortune magazine for having written more life insurance in a single year than one half of the 2,400 life insurance companies had accomplished with all of their agents combined. And, and he was an amazing man. He, he never had a conversation that was not intentional. He never had a conversation where you didn't leave thinking, I should do something different with my life. Uh, so Ben Feldman conferred our, our designations. And I'll just say this about him. He didn't live up physically to the legend that he had formed, you know, by reputation and by his career. He's five foot six, stoop-shouldered, bald-headed, and spoke with a lisp. And 
and I'm not a tall man. I'm six foot, but I, I was looking down at this man and I had a full head of hair and a mustache, right? Because I was 28 <laughs> years old. Right. And I, I just thought, this is man is not impressive. But I walked across the stage, shook his hand, and, and this is what he said to me, Bob and Dustin. He said, Dave, send money on ahead for the old man you're going to be. And then turned his shoulders, turned his gaze to the next recipient. And I was dismissed off the stage and back to my chair. Well, you can imagine, I got home that night. I said to my beautiful wife, Di, I said, honey, I'm disappointed. And uh, she said, tell me about the whole thing. And when I got done telling my story, she said, so what are you going to do? I said, what am I going to do about what? She said, legend in your business gives you personal advice. Send money on ahead for the old man you're going to be. What are you going to do now? So because of Ben Feldman witnessed this starting point, I sat down with my wife. We put 50 bucks away a month into an account, which, you know, here all these years later has $165,000 in it. He was the starting point for that account. And that's just one instance, one person that he impacted, and he impacted tens of thousands. And see, as we... He was the starting point. Your wife was a bit of a catalyst. As in every area of my life, Dustin so wisely pointed out. Yes, she is. Absolutely. You would keep your $50, but she's the one that gave you the call to action. What are you going to do? And see, when you tell that story, which I love it, I love to hear that. One of the things that just went through my mind is how many people young people in Eastern Europe, you, Dave Murphy, and mm. your organization are becoming the starting points for in their lives, in their careers, in their education. So you're really passing it along. And 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 that's what's so wonderful about this whole this whole concept. This Bob, whole from your mouth to that's, God's ears. I just that's what that's our dream. That's what we hope to happen. I think that that's your legacy. I think you said something earlier about not having, you know, you haven't discovered anything. Well, a bunch of people have discovered something in themselves Ooh, because of so what you're doing. Thank you both for that encouragement. No, that, that it is. It's great. And like I said, I just thought that when you were you're telling that story about Ben Feldman's impact. And again, to our listeners, I would encourage you to Google that name, Ben Feldman, because. He was an icon in our industry. Uh, that's the, that's the, uh, the, the, the great thing that, that those of us that have been in the industry, and again, talking about mentors, you know, I mentioned uh, Raymond Triplett, I mentioned John Savage, people who we saw that spoke, that were uh, at MDRTs or Million Dollar Roundtable meetings, other things, uh, you, don't, you, you never know. Uh, what you're going to say and the impact that they're going to have on people again to start what you know their their, their process down at down the right road as it were. Well, Dustin, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on you for a minute because I know a little bit about you. I know uh, you're uh, an MBA. You have your uh, certified insurance counselor designation. Your certified insurance service representative designation, and your you're working on your CPRM. You have three young children, and your husband is a detective in your local police department. So you kind of have your hands full, and you have accomplished so much. My question to you is, 
has this principle of starting points, how has, how has that affected you? Has, have you used that with, with what you've accomplished? I've absolutely enjoyed processing your article. And I've read it several times. And each time I pull something out of it a little different. But before I go into that, I want to expand on what Bob was just talking about, about sparking something in someone. And, and that's for anybody. It's not just somebody who's teaching, you know, underprivileged learners. It's, I mean, it's for the clerk at the local gas station, the interaction that you share with anybody at even get any given time has the opportunity to impact either one of those participants in that interaction profoundly. So true. This past year, 2020, has been a huge impact filled with a lot of starting points. So as I was going through your article or your essay, if you will, several times, I found new data and new information about myself through it. Bob, thank you for all of the information about the achievements that I've made so far, but I constantly feel like I've not achieved anything yet. I still have more achievements to go. I struggled with that a little bit when I started at the National Alliance. And uh, to give a little backstory on that, you know, what we said before, how you, you kind of haphazardly pick starting points. When I started thinking about what all of my starting points were, when and where they started, I don't think I ever truly recognized when they started. And it was more of a hindsight 2020 kind of thing. Like, this is where I'm at. Where did that start? And then you start to realize where your starting point is and how you used that so that you can intentionally pick a starting point next time. It's part of the growth process. And so when I started at the National Alliance, this was my end point. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I never saw myself being somebody at the National Alliance. Um, my um, my goal was to be a Dr. Bratton. I wanted to be him, and and he's wholly engrossed in the National Alliance and all of the education that I received helped me with my goal setting through my profession. So when I got to the National Alliance, I struggled a little bit with identity, thinking, well, what do I do now? <laughs> So as far as starting points go, it's kind of what your wife said. What are you going to do now? You've just been given something and you think that's <laughs> the end, but you have to reframe it and think, well, what am I going to do with what I've been handed now? And I think that always becomes my starting point for anything that I've grown in. My education in particular, <laughs> there wasn't a starting point. <laughs> In fact, it took me 10 years to get through it. <laughs> but you did so, start. Uh, but you, yes, I did start. The, the, but and it was the, and more then the like, neat thing is you actually finished that marathon. <laughs> yes, yes you absolutely. Did. Yes, you did. It was definitely a marathon. It was not a David Murphy sprint. <laughs> I don't know many people that have done a David Murphy sprint <laughs> in that environment. That's a tough deal. Right. But the starting point for education was basically, I still don't know what to do. So, you know, it just, it evolved somehow into the starting point. My true starting point, though, for my profession wasn't when I started an insurance. It was when I started my education through the National Alliance. And like you said at the very beginning, 
most of us in insurance will say in jest that we ended up here accidentally or we fell into it, but then we chose to stay on purpose. And that's everything that encompasses me. But it was the National Alliance and the mentors that I had through the National Alliance and the Dr. Brattons that sparked my starting point to continue to evolve the profession into a career rather than a job, because that's what it was at first was a job. I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So back to what I said before, it's or what your wife said, I'm sorry. What are you going to do with it? (laughs) I was handed the education, much like you, my employer agreed to pay for it. You've got to keep passing in order for us to keep paying for more courses. What are you going to do with that? Some um, it's going to depend on your your mindset. In 2020, it was a whole lot of mindsets, if we're being honest. <laughs> it's going to depend on your mindset. If you've mm-hmm. been handed something good or bad, an employer might say, I need you to do this uh, educational professional development. And somebody might go, oh, my gosh, I can't take tests. I don't know how to do this. But it's reframing <laughs> your mindset and say, what are you going to do about mm-hmm. it? What are you going to do with this? You've been given an opportunity. Um, And that's where every starting point has started for me, whether it was a good opportunity or a bad opportunity, a good experience or a bad experience. It was taking um, a step back for a second and saying, well, this is what's in my hand. This is what's in front of me. What am I going to do with that? And from that, I'm like, okay, well, my end goal is the National Alliance or teaching at a college university. That's where I'm going to go. And then you develop your process, you know, your um, your principles that are within the essay, you develop your process through that. So it's starting points are great, especially when you're talking about financial starting points. Those are more easily found at the beginning. Um, but for humans, because we're messy and we are haphazard, <laughs> a lot of times I don't think we always realize when our starting point is occurring. And we take a step back and we, we reflect on where we currently are to figure out hmm. where our starting point was and where we're going. And so it's it's not an in sync process. It's kind of a messy back and forth the whole time. Yeah. Those are beautiful points, Dustin. Well, we Dustin, Dustin referred a couple of times to Dr. Bratton. Uh, Dave, Dr. John Bratton, uh, he's since retired, but he was the... Uh, the head of the risk management and insurance program and really built it uh, at the University of Central Arkansas. And it is one of the it's one of the biggest programs going. And one of the things that he used to talk about was, you know, getting these students interested in the industry and get getting them to try it and to start and to go. And and he was able to encourage people and excite people to do that. And, and, and he did it very well. And one of the things that I want to talk about is, is, is kind of uh, use a, a, a Dr. Bratton uh, analogy here is how what he did with students, how, were, how did you in your career, what do you think our listeners who are insurance professionals, how can they use this concept of starting points to impact their clients, to get their clients to go, to have a a point to move forward. I know yours was in financial services, uh, which is uh, a little bit different. I always say it's a lot different uh, than uh, uh, our property casualty friends 
but in financial services, what were the what were the things? Did you use this concept of starting points with your with your clients and prospects? And how do you think our people, our listeners today, can can take this concept to their practice? It's a great question, Bob, and and I'll, I'll echo some of the things that Dustin so wisely said. You know, there are four keys or four elements to success in life. You know, you could talk to about the property and casualty business, the life insurance business, the investment business, or just the advisory business. These four elements are going to benefit every client you work with. The first of which is the starting point. You know, in the financial planning world, specifically, Bob, uh, we use the starting point in financial planning as kind of like the here, here you are on the map, the financial map. You know how you have that little dot that says, this is where you're standing. And so as a starting point, you need to list what the current holdings are, what the sources of funds are, how everything adds up. So a starting point in financial survey, services, financial planning is what is your total income? What are the tax rates? What's your credit score? Uh, what does your budget and your expenses look like? What is your debt load that you're carrying? Uh, what are your account balances? What are your invested assets in real estate and things like that? That's That maps out what your net worth is, what your starting point is. But you see, starting point is just the first step of success. It's good to know where you are, but also you need to know where you're going. You know, could you imagine if any, if the three of us jumped in a car, you know, we could be comedians that getting coffee in cars, <laughs> uh, you know, like, like Jerry Seinfeld. You know, we are we are looking to go somewhere and you need to know what that is. So in the financial planning world with my clients, I want to know what their destination was. Uh, some of them said, I want to be debt free in 10 years. Well, what a great goal. Let's let's get there. Right. Some of them, look, Dustin, you've got those three kids. I'd like to have a college fund established for each of them to help them through their college education. <laughs> right? She's shaking her head. They're no, on their own. They're on their own. <laughs> Uh, but see, that is a des that's a destination. Many of my clients wanted to get a seasonal home, uh, whether it be a condo at the beach, a mountain resort, a lake home, and they wanted to enjoy that while their kids were still at home and uh, and get get that started. So a seasonal home, a retirement at what whatever age, it's creating a, a charitable legacy. See, those are destinations. And uh, when you think about the property casualty world, what's a destination? Well, not losing your home by having the right. proper insurance, uh, by having an umbrella insurance that matches your income and your net worth so that you're being uh, reasonable and prudent so nobody can take anything away from you. These, these are destinations. This is the kind of thing you talk about. But if we just did starting points and destinations, we go nowhere. You need a baseline. Every single plan that's going to succeed in life includes a baseline. And what is that? That's your behavior. We talked earlier about habits. Your behavior has to change. Behavioral, behavioral analysis is what economics is. It's the study of human behavior, exactly. right? And so exactly. a baseline is such things as uh, what are your good habits financially and what are your bad habits? Um, there are a lot of people who approach the property and casualty business with, I want the least amount that's available, that's required by law. Bad idea. Bad idea, right? And, but see, that's a baseline for somebody that needs to be changed. 
not only do you need to show greater responsibility for your neighbor and love your neighbor, just like we're wearing masks to love our neighbor, you need to procure the right amount of coverage so that they're covered. But you know, when I was selling property and casualty insurance, your uninsured and underinsured motorist coverage, what was that limited to? The liability you carried for other people. Right. If you cared so little for other people that you carried 25,000 of, of liability, guess what your uninsured motorist coverage was limited to? Oh, $25,000, right. right? That's a line if there ever was one that I have never used before, but I will spew from now on. Well, what do we know? When you love your there neighbor you so little on your liability limits, you love yeah. yourself the same. That's yeah. Love your neighbors <laughs> as yourself has that, a reciprocal. Yeah. You love yourself wow. only to the extent <laughs> yeah. that you love others. That's wow. the other. That's the other side of that coin. I love that. So again, baseline is 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 requiring behavioral change in order to get to the destination. Given where their starting point is. They're going to have to behavioral change. And then the fourth one, which is absolutely critical, and, and Dustin, you mentioned it a couple of times, it's the word process or system. Bob, you know, in the financial services world, if you don't have a process or a system, you're not getting anywhere. To say that keeping a jar on the kitchen counter to collect loose change is indeed a process is to fool yourself. You'll, you'll, you'll collect some money, but you'll collect just as much dust, right? Absolutely. So, with, so the Captain America piggy bank my husband has is not a good system. It's not, you know, don't dissuade <laughs> him from it because he's not, otherwise he's going to be throwing those coins on the floor because he doesn't want to carry them around in his pocket. But you, you, know, you, want the, you want him to capture those. But here's the thing. With my clients, we establish a routine, an annual review. An annual review, if you don't, you know, the old, the old saying, you get what you inspect, not what you expect, right? So an annual review is that inspection exactly. vital. The next one is establishing an emergency fund. You can succeed to all get out in your investments, but if you can't cash them in when you need them, you're in trouble. Emergency fund. A systematic savings and in in, in investment. What's the most important thing to do is to, is to set something up so that it's automate, automatic. You don't have to worry about it, right? It's, it's, it's set and forget. Uh, diversification. You know, to your risk tolerance, make sure that you, you're always comfortable with where your, your money is. Dollar cost averaging, you're going you're gonna to buy in a high market and then you're going to buy in a low market. Well, let's, let's do that, but let's just not buy one or the other. Personal discipline. Right. You know, I, I taught my clients, give, save, invest, spend in that order. You make $100,000, you give your 10%. You save your 10%, you invest your, your 10%, you, you live off the rest. And that takes a lot of discipline because what do we all see? Oh, that's a nice car. Or that couch would look good in my living room. Or why, why? All, we all we need to do is watch television. And we, they're, they're attacking that theory that you just, you know, that concept that you just shared. Brilliantly said, Bob. Brilliantly <laughs> said. Uh, why, do, why am I sitting here with a... 52 inch TV when I could have a 75 inch TV. You know, it's all good. It's that crazy. Absolutely. Uh, you know, another, it's because my eyesight's getting really bad. <laughs> yeah, that's See, what, now, that is a factor. That is a, right. I have a plausible right. excuse. Right. That is a factor. So, you know, another, another process is 
where are my risk points? Uh, where do I need to protect from the risk of loss? What is, what is insurance but an exchange of a certain loss for an uncertain loss? I'd rather know that I'm paying $100 a year for my homeowner's insurance than to know that my house burns down and I can't replace a $500,000 house, right? That's right. a process. So is, you know, preparing, making a plan to be prepared for the unexpected. I can guarantee it. everybody's life is going to be filled with the unexpected. One of the things I did, Bob, when I was a med agent, you'll probably appreciate this. I would carry around the front page of the, of the newspaper every day because on the sidebar was always a comment that said, so-and-so died what? Unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. Yeah. So I would say, are you expecting to die? They would say, no. Well, they, this person wasn't either. You know, here, take a look at this. This is why we buy the life insurance that we buy. It's unexpected. So again, just to recap, the starting point is one-fourth of the formula for success. You've got to, on top of that, have a destination in mind, a baseline of proper behavior and a process to stay on, on task. Those are the four elements. Doesn't matter whether you're in property and casualty, investments, life insurance, long-term care, whatever you're selling. This is the, these, these are the keys. Yeah, but these concepts of the starting points, it's actually fairly ingrained in the sales process of insurance professionals because we, you know, from the moment we initiate conversation with a prospect, we're discovering the client's destination, where they need to be, whether it's the homeowner policy, a business policy, whatever that destination is, by finding out where we're starting. We're asking all kinds of risk assessment questions. Um, we ask that you know, with every sidebar conversation that we have that occurs during the normal risk assessment, we're discovering what their habits are because they're telling us about the new car that they just purchased that they didn't need to because, you know, yeah. you know for whatever reason, I don't know anything about that. But, you know, we're using all of that data as, as risk assessment professionals, as insurance professionals to come up with the starting point for the client so that we can recommend what their end point is, whatever the product is that's going to meet their needs. And then the process and the elements of baselines are all mixed in there in the middle as we're educating them on what their risks are because they may not understand what the end point is and they may not even be fully accepting of what their beginning points are, what their starting points are because they don't think that the car was an was a bad risk investment, <laughs> you know, a bad way to spend their money. And so we're educating them on what their risks are for each of, of, of the items that we assess to come up with their endpoint. We educate them on how to minimize and properly ensure those risks. And then through the measure of educating them, we're understanding how to protect their, their understanding how to protect their investments, possibly even shoulder some of that risk because not everything is insurable. You have to accept some part of the risk. When you talk about um, establishing emergency fund, many times insureds don't initially think, I need to make sure I've got a bank for my deductible. <laughs> As an insurance professional in the middle of a claim when somebody's in distress, if they didn't have the the forethought or if they weren't advised properly make sure you've got a savings for that deductible because this is going to be needed at your time of distress it's really hard to walk a client through that process of how am i going to afford this deductible because you can't just hand the deductible over and fix it for them 
So that's all part of the education process and understanding their baselines and what their good habits are and their bad habits are and educating them on how to transform all of that so that their end result, their product functions best for them. Um, so this this entire uh, essay, the, the, the principle of starting points is, like I said at the very beginning, wholly ingrained in the sales process for an insurance professional. Very well put, Dustin. And you see what all this conversation has told me is the advantage of using insurance professionals when you're going into this insurance marketplace versus what everyone's saying, go online, get cheap. Uh, this is it. I can beat any price. I can do all these things. That doesn't take into consideration where our clients are and to help them through this process. I think that is so critical. Yes. I like to tell people, if you get sick, are you going to go online or are you going to go to the doctor? There are people who will go online, which Web I think MD. is amazing. But that's the difference as far as I'm concerned. Well, It absolutely is. And part of that education process is teaching your client to trust you as well, because they're not going to accept the advice that you give absolutely. if they've been burned by an insurance professional before. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's a million starting points that can come out of this one conversation. Well, yes, they really yeah. are. Well, listen, guys, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking they, we, need to, we need to start a, a David and Dustin uh, morning talk show and put it out <laughs> on the airwaves to talk about this stuff. You guys have been great. Uh, again, I was really excited about this uh, podcast when we did it, and you have far exceeded my expectations, and I'm sure uh, you will far exceed the expectations of the listeners when they, when they come on and listen to our, our podcast here. And I want to thank both of you for taking your time. Uh, Dustin, I know what you do. Uh, you keep you keep going and doing what you do well and uh, spread spreading the love, as we say. And David, you keep spreading the love on your side. And uh, we certainly appreciate uh, you taking the time again and two uh, consummate professionals in our industry. So we thank you, Dave and Dustin, for being with us today. Well, it's been my honor. Thank you. I've really enjoyed meeting both of you. Right. It's pleasure. definitely been my pleasure too, David. It was so wonderful to meet you. And I am so inspired and in awe of everything that you are doing to inspire others that may not have had the chance otherwise. That's so, that's so kind of you. Thank you, Dustin. Appreciate you too. This has been a great conversation. And uh, that's it for this episode of Nat Alliance Now. <laughs>